This episode of the Human Animal Podcast is brought to you by Shama Sandals. Shama Sandals are my favorite piece of footwear to wear throughout the year. They have an awesome power lace strapping system that really keeps the sandal snug on your feet. It's easy to get on and off, so you can switch to barefoot wherever you're at, and then come right back into the sandals. They have awesome grip, and they really train way better for agility and speed movements than any other sandal I've worn, and they're comfortable to boot. The only sandal I trust as much as my feet is a Shama sandal. So go ahead, go over to their website. You can go to shamasandals.com backslash human dash animal. And then just put in, in your coupon code, HA podcast to get a free pair of the power straps with any sandals purchase. Guys, check them out. They're an awesome company. They've been doing good work for a long time. They're one of the few uh, pieces of equipment that I always have on hand and uh, you won't regret checking them out. What's up, guys? This is Matt from the Human Animal Podcast. Uh, today, I'm super excited to bring you a conversation with Caitlin Pontrella. Am I saying that correctly, Caitlin? Did I nail yes. that? Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Caitlin and I have been tr trying to get on a call and uh, on a podcast here for like six months, maybe? I thought it was more like a year. But... Maybe a year. Uh, <laughs> it's been long enough that I thought I needed to refriend to friend you on Skype only to realize that I had already friended you on Skype for the call. <laughs> uh, I was like, okay. So I'm really excited to have this happen. Caitlin, uh, I first heard about you th actually through the, um, the Movement Collective. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to butcher this now that, I, that we're actually on the call. Um, the movement library, uh, yeah. the movement library mm -hmm. that you started, uh, a former podcast guest and, and friend, Julie Angel, uh, turned me on to that. And that's exactly, basically at that time, that's all I did is I had this giant, uh, Excel sheet, of, or, uh, Evernote sheet of games and I would just keep collecting games like a hoarder. Um, yeah. Absolutely, me too. And then I looked at this, I was like, wow, someone's doing the same thing and it looks way prettier. <laughs> and other people can actually use it. That's that's better than just hoarding it. So that's a really <laughs> cool website. And then uh, I wanted to touch base with you and just talk about uh, all your experiences within parkour and play and creating spaces because you're an architect as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got a lot going on, dude. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been busy for a couple of years. <laughs> so... Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to talk about anything and everything. So, first up, tell us about you. What's going on? Jesus, that's a huge question. <laughs> um, first, there was the Big Bang. <laughs> I was born in 1989. <laughs> um, no, um, I, uh, wow, I don't want to answer this question. Okay, let me help you out. Yeah, totally. Tell tell me like the landmarks, like give me some of the highlights for what led you to where you are today. What were the like most some biggest uh, motivators or, or changes in your life or moments where you're just like, yeah, I can kind of point to that as a turning point. Got it. Okay. Yes, I can do this a little better now. Um, so <laughs> basically the two divining kind of elements of my life, I think, are design and movement and uh, they actually kind of, my interest in them developed separately and um, have slowly kind of converged over the years uh, into something that's very much more interesting to me. 
Um, but basically, uh, on the, the movement end of the spectrum, I started, uh, I wasn't very athletic when I was younger, and then really got into sports in high school. Um, more of the independent stars. I was in track and field, archery. Um, but when I went to college, uh, when I took on my architecture program, it ended up being incredibly intensive, and I had to kind of give up uh, my practices and uh, because they just didn't fit with my schedule. And I think this is something obviously people face in their lives all the time. My schedule doesn't let me do or move or whatever it is. Um, and uh, someone had suggested me parkour, and I looked it up online. It looked great. It was jumping, climbing, you know, the whole spectrum of movements, and I could do them out anytime I wanted. Didn't need a team, didn't need a coach. Uh, and that, that really was, for me, like a lucky find because otherwise I probably have gone the route of just having less and less movement in my life until I was sedentary. So, uh, more sedentary. Um, so, I think that that was really important, accepting my design program and then finding parkour, obviously, was a huge shift and great, great uh, stroke of luck. And then uh, when I w- left college, I started the Movement Creative. It's not the Movement Collective. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. The Movement Collective is out, and I'm bolder. Okay. The, yeah. The, yeah. With Zach. Yeah. I. I went. I took a. I took Ito's uh, Movement X with Zach. So then getting him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't want him hearing this podcast and being like, I don't know who she is. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the Movement Creative. Because uh, I was feeling really burnt out from design, and um, just the program was incredibly intense, and. Uh, through that process, just started to realize, oh, there's obviously teaching movement, sharing movement. That was wonderful, and I loved it. I started some events and uh, became much more present in the community. But at the same time, started realizing, oh, there's this whole layer of opportunity to change our physical world to just provide more opportunities for this to happen in the future. And um, I think starting that organization, having some great people who were very creative to work with and some interesting projects, again, really helped drive and uh clarify my ideas around the importance of design when it comes to encouraging a society that embraces play. Right. Um, so, and then now I, uh, last year I actually left the architecture profession in a, in a formal way. So I'm not, I'm not technically practicing and I moved to the West coast. So I upended my life out of New York and I joined parkour visions, which is a nonprofit in Seattle and uh, they do education programming and design. So it's a nice place to be to help them shape their vision for the future. Did they find a space to be? They're looking for a space to be. Yeah, because I, I remember hearing about this, that they got kicked out of their building like last minute and had no warning, right? Yeah, they're, they definitely were struggling last year. There's some uh, there's a bunch of things going on with the city needing to do renovations. So, yeah, it, it didn't work out. Um, but it's also, I think, a great... I think we can frame it in a really positive way. This is an opportunity for the organization to step back and evaluate what what they really care about and what we want to focus on in the future and how to actually serve and bring movement to what uh, what I think is the most important population, underserved populations, populations with lack of access, low income. um, Because uh, one thing that I really love about parkour is the fact that, again, you you don't need to have money. So... You don't have, need to have access. You don't have to get somewhere. Like, you can just literally walk out your front door. You don't need equipment. Um, you don't need to have ability. You know, it's, it's again, accessible at all ages and uh, all skill levels. And I think I think it was really important, especially for kids, and I was saying this last night to somebody, but um, basically you can't age up or get cut. 
Like, you know, I remember in eighth grade getting cut from the basketball team and that ended my basketball time. That was it. Never played again. Mm. Um, and then when I left high school, I never participated in track and field or tennis again. I mean, I'll play from time to time, you know, casually, but you know, if people play soccer or other team sports, it's a lot harder to access that once you leave a, the formal school system. Mm. Um, and so you age up, you age out, or you get cut from the team. And, uh, you know, parkour is lifetime. You know, it's it's a, it's a lifetime sport that you don't need money to do and you don't need to go anywhere to do it, which is, wow, that's like, cool. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nothing, yeah. I've, you know, I have kind of on the flip side of that, I have this whole um, kind of mission or concept about reclaiming the game mm-hmm. and finding games that have alienated people in the past in some way mm-hmm. and figuring out how to make like lower the barrier to entry again so that more people can play together. So a uh, really simple example that I've used before is like dodgeball, dodgeball mm-hmm. quintessential. I got hit in the face when I was in fifth grade with a red ball. It left a huge welt. I don't ever want to play dodgeball again. Right. Yeah. Um, so there are, there are a couple ways I try to tackle it. Like, uh, there's rhino skin dodgeballs that are foam that if you get hit in the face, it's not a kill shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then turning it from a finite game to an infinite game where everyone's always participating. So we do, we do zombie a lot where like one person's the zombie Lord. And if they, you get tagged, you become their minion and then you're throwing. So you're either dodging or throwing at any time. And then you just play until it's one sided again, where everyone's a zombie and there's only one human. And then you roll reverse and just keep going. So it never ends. Right. Um, and I've found that, you know, people don't really like to play games where they can't participate. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. What a weird thing. Oh, I, I, oh, I, oh, we started a new game. Oh, I get I to sit down for 15 minutes again. Wow. Well, there's what? actually, uh, you know, I was having this conversation in a similar vein of like the need to, to one, create accessibility of just the, the thing itself. Right. And, uh, I was actually, did I, say I was talking to Rafe Kelly, uh, the other night and, uh, he brought up this, I guess, experiment that was done basically like, uh, that shows that like, uh, when you have two rats that are fighting they're you know, with the bigger rat um, and the smaller rat, and if uh, the bigger rat wins all the time, the smaller rat will stop coming over and asking to play. Uh, but as long as they win about 30% of the time, or they feel like there is actual like legitimate participation happening and there's back and forth, um, uh, that they will continue to ask to play and be be a part of that that so yeah. i think it's like it somewhat speaks to i know that it's kind of that that goes to something a little different but also this idea that like participation also needs to be meaningful and we have to feel like yeah. uh we actually can uh access the challenges being put in front of us and it's not just gonna be like this crushing experience either like also you can't play dodgeball with a bunch of people who are like really like awesome at it because uh it just would be awful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. for me, it would be terrible. We, we, yeah. And that it's actually kind of an, that's an interesting line of thought that I just haven't, I haven't dove into totally yet, but like, um, in, in my ninja classes, we will create new games because new games have a higher likelihood of having an even playing field. 
because you're adapting to new circumstances. And even if there's some inherent like eye hand coordination or movement skill that you bring into it. Yeah. The other thing with new also oh good. Okay. I was gonna say the other thing with new games is is uh there's not like an inherent understanding of where the value lies. So like in basketball, I feel important because I score points. But if I create a new game, I can I can create a new value system for what's rewarded. So maybe the reward is uh, the, you know, like almost Harlem uh, Globetrotter style, like the beauty of the movement or the ability to get other people involved or everyone on the team touches the, the ball or whatever and I mean, so kind of rewrite it. Yeah. So I think, well, one thing to the first, to the first thing it's, it's that I think that with newer games uh, or I think that games are really successful at getting people to move and ways that, ways that are successful to get people is a rule negotiation where everyone gets to participate in creating the boundaries and the rules of the experience so that everyone feels like it's fair. Mm-hmm. Because if you all create the rules, you all have the mutual understanding of why it's fair and um, then all agree to show up and play. Um, and to the second to the second part, I think um, there's like – I think play obviously manifests in many ways, right? You can have different goals of play. Um, and I think especially for newcomers, especially for people who uh, might find movement more inaccessible, um, I think creating games and spaces where uh, the focus isn't on, like, competitive play, where there's a, a, win, a win scenario, basically, uh, but rather uh, the focus is on creating community and a positive experience around movement. Um, I think that so many people have – this is also a huge uh, barrier psychologically is that so many people have um, – huge blocks against movement in general because they think all movement, like the movement in their life is basically exercise. And I think we've all seen the diagram of the big movement circle with the little exercise circle. Right. Um, and, uh, and then every other experience of movement in your life is walking to and from car, uh, on your way to work, or maybe it's like a walk during lunch or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just not, it's not very joyful. And it's also very, um, yeah, it has a lot of negative associations of like starting to uh, be created between what movement is and, and yourself and that whole thing. So I think uh, I think that people's initial movement experiences, more than being physically challenging, need to be emotionally satisfying, and they need mm-hmm. to break people out of this like this is going to suck. Like I can't tell how many people go to classes and think, man, this is going to suck, but at least like I've worked out for an hour and. You know, they've, they're fighting it. They're at war against their bodies. They're yeah. Uh, this isn't a sustainable, <laughs> sustainable system. Do you find there's kind of a dichotomy there, though, too? Like, um, I'm just thinking about, you know, my my coaching predominantly is still like in in realms of of, of personal or in group training at our gym, and then I have this little bubble time, which is you know, four hours a week that I do play only like, uh, play and parkour ninja, ninja Academy. Uh, and I say, it's like, we're not ninjas. Like for real, we're adults who, you know, like running around screaming like ninjas. That's more the mm-hmm. ninja we're talking about. But I found there's, there's multiple roles to be had. So for example, I can think of in my, my ninja adult ninja class, I have been super blessed to have, people that have like a competitive athletic background are always kind of like they were always playing basketball. They were always doing something. 
that they mm-hmm. came into the group and quickly assumed the attitude of how can I get everyone involved? I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to find moments of fun. And so like, even though they're stronger, you could call them like stronger movers or whatever the term is. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they are also watching out for everyone else. Right. And mm-hmm. hopefully that's part of my mission with it. So I just try to establish that through like setting expectations up front for what our sessions would be like. Right. But at the same time, those people also appreciate finding someone who's really similar in skill to them and being able to have friendly competition from time to time. Right. It's not like they, um, that's the the whole back to like play has to be in some ways play supposed to be meaningful. Right. And it does have to challenge us. And there's many forms of play, right. Again, there's the play where we're focused on community, community building, but there's also the play where we compete and we want to push ourselves and push our boundaries or, explore different versions of who we are or test things out and experiment in a safe way. And uh, I, I think that's completely valid. And I think that it's just important to realize that both need to exist for us to be yeah. happy. I also want to point out, cause I don't think I've ever done this on a, a podcast before. I think this is episode like 67. That's pretty really good. Yeah. That's pretty good. 67 is pretty good. Um, I talk about the Ninja Academy a lot, just so everyone knows, uh, there are times when we play a game and I look around, I'm like, oh, crap, I lost these three people. They are not having fun or participating. So just to be clear, we jack up all the time, even, even knowing what we want to get. And uh, I tell, you know, I try to encourage that the awkward part where we're not sure how to do what we want to do is 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 growth. <laughs> so it's fine. Like you yeah. get better with it over time. But I don't want to give... Uh, you know, sometimes I listen to other coaches on, on podcasts or their thing and just like, oh, they they have it all figured out all the time. I'm like, I care about play, so I think about it and talk about it a lot. It does not mean that I'm uh, 100% successful at delivering it all the time. Yeah. And I, so I think that that's, that's, that's great to say, too, because also I think that, you know, we're all – we all need to learn this together. I think what, what play is in general is, is a tool for learning like, and, and very much about, like uh, – social and emotional skills right and uh as like the person leading play or leading your sessions um having that level of honesty with the people your participants again i think we all grow up in very um formalized societies i mean hierarchical societies where we default to uh authority Mm -hmm. uh we follow a system we're conditioned to behave in a very certain way or even our value system is often dictated by the place we lived up in, like, you know, I was, I was conditioned to believe that like success looks like a house, uh, a husband, college degree, college degree. Well, I, there was never an option. I could never not go to college. It wasn't even like something I, I didn't have the choice. Like, and when I say I didn't have the choice, I, I actually did not feel like I, like there was no other, there was no other choice. Yeah. It wasn't even on my radar that that was a possibility. And I don't think that's sometimes hard for people to grasp because they think like, oh, you should make your own decisions. Like, no, no, like you don't understand. Like if I didn't do that, I would like be a failure. I would never be able to do anything in my life. I would lose my parents until I'm 50 and blah, blah, blah. So the narrative is so incredibly strong that it is to a degree brainwashing. And um, I think that Mm. uh, play, uh, it's unstructured, right? it, it's self-defining. So every time you play, there might be a new hierarchy, new people in control, new sets of rules, new definitions of success. 
Um, and then you get to be participant in that. And I think that that is scary to a lot of people or they don't know how to really engage with it meaningfully, especially at the start. And I think as the leader, being able to communicate, hey, like, this is also an experiment for me. I'm trying to facilitate this because I've done this a little bit more. But like, if this isn't working for you, you also need to speak up too. We all need to participate. You know, that's a big spiel I, I tend to give at certain classes is like, listen, we create this together and I'm going to do what I think works and has worked in the past. But if it's not working for you, I need to know and I can change things. I have... I have my big bag of tricks over here and like tons of things I can pull out. Like you try to make work that makes everyone happy and everyone gets what they need. Um, so um, I think that that's a uh, bringing people onto the process and making them realize like you're one of us now. It's not me from the top leading you uh, <laughs> because that's very different too. Yeah. I've always liked uh, 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 Ito saying like, don't, you know, don't walk behind me, walk beside me. Exactly. Yeah, that kind of mindset. Well, I think it's also that mindset's like if, if again if you're following, you're not you're not necessarily looking and this is not uh, I'm wow, gonna this is probably get some flack for this. But basically I feel like if you're following someone, you're uh, creating less and you're contributing less. And you are less willing to make decisions, less willing to take risks, you're uh, deferring decisions to other people. But in like again in, in movement and in play, I think it's really important we take control of our journeys, uh, listen to our bodies, um, and find the path uh, that's the right fit for us, which means we do need, we cannot follow someone else. We can learn from others, pick up tools, and, and become more complex in our own practice, but ultimately the day, we have to create our own. Do you think that's a process, though, to taking on that mantle of... of- uh, you know, I'm thinking about specific people I've worked with in the past where I feel like if I had told them that this is the, the balls in your court, you know, this is, uh, this is your journey and where do you want to go with it? They'd be paralyzed by like the, the overwhelming choice. Right. And almost like having some constraints or some ideas to start with helps them. Like I give them a, you know what I mean? Like you need time to, to, if you're totally paralyzed by it to bring bring it I, back I'm, I'm not at all. I think I, don't, I hope what I said isn't at odds with that. I think uh, any beginner, especially if it's a new set of skills, and again, if you don't play very often or you're not exposed to, again, unstructured uh, experiences, I think that you need to start somewhere that's a little more familiar, like classes, things that are more familiar. Like, I, I think it's incredibly difficult for newcomers, for example, to just go out and, like, if you put a bunch of adults in the room and said play, they wouldn't know what the hell to do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think people coming out to like a parkour jam, which is like an open, an open training time where people just come out and all move together and do their own things. Um, if you bring a brand new person there, they often feel overwhelmed and they don't know what to do because it doesn't make sense and they don't understand the rules and don't have the skills. So I think that uh, giving structure at first is important, but a part of instruction and a part of being a leader, that's kind of what I was saying is it's not that you can't lead. It's not that you can't facilitate and you can't give people tools because people need tools to start before they can build and decide which ones are best for them. Um, I think what's more important um, is just making sure that it's always communicated that we're working towards self-sufficiency. You also have this capacity and it's not some magical mystical thing. And like, you know, we live in this society again, that um, we, we like to make, things seem like they're difficult to achieve so that when we achieve them to other people, we sound more impressive. And we like to kind of 
take sets of knowledge, sets of experiences, and place them on a pedestal and say, hey, these things are up here reserved for the elite or the special, those who achieve. Like, and it's just like, no, like, we all get to do this. We can, don't, I get cer- to- can I get certified for doing this? Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't, you don't, like, yeah, I mean, if you're teaching coaching, you should make sure you're getting the level of knowledge that you need to do it yeah, safely. But... And that, but, but that being said, like, you don't need to go get a four year degree to do this. You don't need to engage in a lifelong research uh, project. Uh, you don't need to be uh, an expert with a PhD to go out and teach people or facilitate experience. Um, you know, we also over intellectualize a lot of things too. And, at the end of the day, like we're all going out and moving and playing and working together and understanding the social mechanics around it is sometimes more important than physical mechanics. And um, All right. You've already hit like 17 different things I'm trying to th- backtrack sorry. and think about. <laughs> oh, man. I knew this was going to be a doozy. I knew it was. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I can talk a lot about play. I do a lot yeah, of Yeah. So... Can I can I go to a couple of different places with this? Yeah, oh, you can just jump around. So one thing I thought about is you said you know put a group of adults in rooms they play and it's kind of like eventually if it works at all someone kind of like starts with an idea and then other people jump in right. I was wondering if you know since we're I really want to touch on the design element since I know that's an area of experience for you. Sure. Um, not having, uh, you know, owned my own parkour gym or really have, we don't have, um, a big parkour gym in our area. Mm-hmm. Um, when you bring new people to a parkour gym, is it, you know, you said they were overwhelmed. Do you think it's easier for them to engage on some level because the space yes. elicits more, you know, it's, it's, it creates constraints that like an open field might not. Totally. Well, I think I think that kind of hits to why. And for one, I should say that it's actually really big. Like, I'm personally like have some mixed feelings on gym spaces, but I, you know, for a long time I really <laughs> struggled with them existing. I didn't in the in specifically in the realm of parkour. I, I didn't like it too much just because I like just felt like there was a psychological element missing uh, when you learned only in a gym. Uh, and also this kind of like degree, this level of environmental literacy that you just never get. And the, the vision shift takes a lot longer. Um, like responding to changing conditions, new spaces, adapt, mm-hmm. adapting to that aspect is taken away. Is that the part you're talking about in the gym or is it the fear aspect? Is it somewhat? I think it's, it's for me, the kind of psychological shift is, um, your understanding of yourself in your world um so and and your understanding of the world uh so when you are training parkour outside and you're you're actually interacting with your everyday objects and you're changing what they are radically you know it's like this bench for the last 30 years Mm -hmm. of my life was only something i sat on for the most part right but now it's this thing i can play with and that that is actually despite being very small, a radical shift of mind. It goes from your environment being this dictated and oppressive space where you're told what is and isn't appropriate based on how things are designed to I can take control of where I live just by changing the way I look at it. I can drastically change the place I live just by changing the way I look at it. And I think it's that mindset because that 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 shift then will, that is the shift I think is one of the most important shifts that happen through the practice of parkour. It's just the the ability to suddenly challenge like the very like purpose of existence of something 
um, and and repurpose it to fit fit your needs, right? And I think that once you kind of discover that in your real world, like, oh man, I can basically take anything, think, think about it differently, use it differently and, and give it new purpose at, and value to my life. You know, now it's like, look at all these other things in my life that like these people or these experiences or this job, like I can, I can change my mindset around it, find a way it is benefiting me or find a way to make it benefit me. And I just think it's like that, that kind yeah. of psychological shift takes a lot longer in the gym because also like when you come to a gym, you tend to like, I mean, I should preface by saying I think that the gym is very a very useful tool for a lot of people who grow up in, like I said, very conditioned, very conditioned lives where you're used to systems, you're used to uh, structure. You need you need an environment where you feel safe enough to explore. Like there's there's not you, you need to limit what challenge you're facing. If you face a physical, emotional, mental, and social challenge every time you show up to work out, like and to move, you you will probably stop showing up because wow, that's so much. That's so much bandwidth to be using up on just an hour of your day. But like, if I can limit what mm. experience, what, what I'm experiencing to like, okay, today I'm physically challenging myself at the gym or I'm going to go outside tomorrow and emotionally challenge or mentally challenge myself. Like, you know, it's, but I think that that the gym creates a safe space where people can focus on, again, potentially having just a positive experience with movement in a mm-hmm. safer space or a psychologically safer space because, you know, the idea of the outdoors being dangerous mm-hmm has been a thing that has been perpetuated in all levels of society from, you know, rape culture to whatever, but like, yeah, you have, you have like the double-edged sword of creating a safe separate space. Yeah. So I think, but I think it's, again, I think the, the, I think the problem I always struggle with gym is actually just the failure to create the, um, the pipeline back to the outdoors. Like Mm. they would create the gym and then not build, uh, a supplementary and complementary and equally invested in program to get people outdoors. And, you know, yes, change the way you think about your body, but also it's really important to change the way you think about your world. It's not dangerous. It's not going to hurt you. Like you can go out there and touch things and it's, you're not going to die. Like mm. it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm allergic to sunlight, so I might actually die. Oh, wow. The, the nighttime is great. Vamp- moonlight too. Vampire. No, I could do moonlight. <laughs> Good. That's great. At least you're not a werewolf. Uh, okay. I, you know what? Your story about changing what something means reminds me actually of like um, one of my son's favorite children's books, which is like, it's not a box. And basically this kid is given a, a cardboard box. And he's like, this isn't a box. This is a pirate ship. And they're like, yeah. no, it's a box. And it's like, no, it's, it's a rocket ship. But no, it's, it's my skyscraper I'm balancing on. You know, and just like the the limitless kind of potential exactly of, that. of exactly. a single thing. And I think that 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 really gets I don't want to say like beaten out of us, but basically like this ability, like this kind of mental um, what's the word? Not resiliency. Like it's like uh, elasticity. Like this yeah. ability to like it, yeah, yeah. So like that, I think that becomes. Yeah you know, it becomes less and less as you get older because also there's less opportunities to practice it. You know, I think it's just like, uh, as again, it's inter school where you have very specific tasks. You're not allowed to like, you're not allowed to change the terms of what success are. They're telling you what it is. You're not allowed to set parameters necessarily all the time. And there's some great schools doing new things and rethinking what education should be. But you know, the education system alone is a, is a tool to crush creativity ultimately. All my family are teachers, and they'll probably listen to me like, Caitlin, what did you just say? 
but the, uh, the, system, <laughs> the, the system as a whole, I think, ends up being again with all of the standards testing. Well, you know, we we talk so much about um, social conditioning, and we take we pick so much of up about how we should feel about the uh, uh, from the actions of other people around us and the emotional states of other people around us, right? Mm-hmm. So, the longer you're in quote unquote society as is, I think the, the harder and harder it is to break away from those things, unless you start surrounding yourself with people who think differently and then it can have the opposite effect, right? Now other people's mental flexibility can, can change your own. Well, I think once you start meeting new people, um, the, the first step that really needs to happen to make this kind of radical change is to figure out what way you've been conditioned to behave in your life, right? Why did I make these decisions? Were these my decisions or were these like society's decisions that I've kind of internalized? You know, I'm, I can talk from my perspective. You know, I, I was raised middle, middle, upper middle class. And uh, but that's 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 a very limited perspective. But even, you know, in low income communities, you have kids joining gangs and, you know, you talk to them about why why they did this. And like it's very obvious as an outsider. Like, well, how would you ever do that? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But to them, they see they see those spaces like these groups as like, oh, like, they're safe. They're not bullied. Like they have power and control and I want power and control. And, um, you begin to think that that's the only route or path available to you for that. And I think, you know, once you start to realize there are other paths and and ways to take control of your life and, uh, you're able to again, make a conscious decision, what path you want to take. I think conditioning is only really bad because it, it prevents us from thinking through the decisions we're making and we make them because we default to them. So how do we design our spaces to be less conditioned? Um, that's a great question. Well, I think this is actually really, this is actually, uh, this is a design challenge. So I think this is a design thesis. Um, basically, in, I think the way I, I understand it at the moment, um, I actually think, uh, so I believe that what we need to do more than anything, uh, more than design something new or physical is actually uh pretty simple it's it's uh just invite people to play and i don't mean like because the thing is you can go into a space and drop a playground in and and people won't interact with it because it's not they've been taught already so deeply that that's not for them so one thing i like to explain people is in new york city uh for example um when you turn 13 you are not technically allowed on playgrounds anymore you need to be accompanied by a child so playgrounds are for kids who are 12 and under and there are no spaces then created or offered meaningfully at least by the city um for teens and adults or seniors for that matter um so you're taught you're taught right away from a young age that play is for kids one that that kind of joyful expression is reserved for very specific branch of society and um to that, you know, there are repercussions for play. Like, you, know, you get, like, the, the small phrases that start to infect your everyday life. Like, quit playing around. Get back to work. Uh, stop jumping on that. You know, quit climbing around. Like, whatever it is. Like, you know, there's all these, like, little things, you know, you, people are telling you all the time to stop stop moving. Stop moving. Stop twidgeting, fidgeting, stop whatever, right? Like, and... uh so I think what actually needs to happen is 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 the invitation to play, the permission to play, um, the the people saying it's okay. So I think 
you know, I think there was a great story that uh, Colin McDonald told me. He's uh, one of our designers here at Park Revisions. He said they designed this really awesome pipe sculpture structure that's like looks like something you can climb and play on and balance on. And they put it up uh, for display or showcase um, as a part of this exhibition. And lots of kids were playing on it. At first, no one was playing on it because it just looked like, oh, we're not supposed to touch it. And then once a few kids started playing on it, like all the parents would stand around and like always where the kids play. I can't. I, I, it's not for me. And then it actually took Colin and a couple other people, I think, getting on it and playing on it. And then more of the older adults got excited and came in and also started playing. Um, so I think it's it's actually more important for like one of the most important things we can do, which is not design related, is just be in our spaces, moving, playing, training. And then when you see people watching, invite them to join. Find a, a safe, low, accessible, a challenge that they can engage with um, and and get them, again, on that path, rethinking their environment. And that's also, like, maybe some touches back to, like, why I get some pushback on the gym because just, like, this shift doesn't happen in the gym, but it does happen when you're out in your world and you can actually invite people to meaningfully engage in a different way with what's around them. So that's, I think one needs to be invitations to play. Invitations can take any sort of form. And I use the word invitation because it was from a book called, um, I've said this before a couple of times, it really influential on me, uh, Love Where You Live by Peter Kageyama. And he uses the word invitation when you create invitations for play. Um, and uh, but basically, again, I think it's, 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 it's encouraging and giving permission. And you can't just give permission because you say, oh, we can all play here. But unless you invite people to play, they also won't know what to do. Or where to start, or yeah. So I think it's we oh, don't need to. I really learning. like that. I feel like it. I have. Um, we use very similar language on on some level. I have a, a section called "Give yourself permission to play" in my play workshops. Mm-hmm. It's one of the big things I hit on, but I don't know if I've ever said also invite others to play. Um, I feel like yeah, that's like a a new opening door, and I almost imagine like. Uh, we had a time where I took my class out to the park and we brought pillows and we had a massive pillow fight running around and my wife was there with my kids, um, playing in the park and there were people standing around and like saying, look at those people pillow fighting. What are they doing? Mm-hmm. And my wife was like, Oh, that's, that's, that's my husband. That's his group. Yeah. They, they go and play stuff. But you know what? Uh, I'm just imagining now, like the next step would have been, having extra pillows and saying, do you want to, do you want to jump in? Totally. Um, like planning for planning and preparing that someone might want to join and like have like letting that be part of the process. Yeah. That's a, that's actually I mean, um, that's, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and invitations don't have to be uh, super explicit. Uh, right. Yeah. So you, you as a person don't also necessarily need to, you don't always have to have people present. You can design things if we want to go back to the subject, the area of design, like, right, like you can be there and you can invite, I think the strongest way to get people engaged in moving is through an explicit invite, but um, cities can do things where we can start um, uh, inviting people to play in other ways um, through signage, through paint, you know, I think through art, um, even the creation of spaces, obviously for different populations. Um, so yes, it can start, it can start on a lower level, but, um, but as well. So I, th- I think it's just kind of important that there's, there's both sides of the, the coin that need to happen. Like we do need to create more opportunities for people to engage with their, with their bodies and their cities in a way that isn't also, um, 
uh, received negatively, but uh, also we do need those explicit invitations. So, um, and that or, also means, by the way, like, or we can just become the the kingpins of the rent a child uh, industry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can rent a child and take them to if you want to go play at the park. I mean, really, we shouldn't solve the problem. We should just profit from it, right? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it sounds brilliant. Uh, over the world. Billions um, and billions. <laughs> um, but actually, that was I remember when I read that that local law, it it, it something a, a bunch of things kind of fell into place for me. Um, you know, this idea that again we're we're creating a society that is anti-play, anti-movement, and we're reinforcing by our decisions. And I understand why decisions on playgrounds are made. I don't necessarily know if I agree with them, but um, I think that uh, that that was kind of a realization for me as to why sometimes things have gone the way they have gone. You know, a lack of space to play and be physical, like kids go find other outlets. Um, and if you don't have money, like if you don't join a team sport, you get cut from the team, right? Like, what are you supposed to do? Okay, play some video games. Or you pick up a hobby that's not physical and um, you kind of rate it off as a, oh, I'm just not athletic or I'm just not this or oh, I'm just that. You start making excuses from a young age to, uh, to become more comfortable with the fact that you've lost, you've lost play. And, uh, you know, and play, obviously, I'm not, that's also to say, by the way, that like music and art and other things don't have their own form of play, but you lost physical play. You know, you lost, you know, physical movement's just not for me. You know, that's an absurd thing because, I think I was listening to this great presentation last night where uh, basically this guy's doing like his thesis uh, on movement, how it affects the brain. And, um, you know, one of the things is like how the three, the three things that uh, activate your brain the most is like food, oxygen, and movement. And so like basically movement is as important as oxygen and food. So like if you're not moving, like you're not healthy and you're not whole. Uh, so I think that, uh, to, to write it off. I mean, again, I think it's a, it's a natural path for people to start writing off movement from a young age because from the way our cities are built to the way our schools are designed to the way life progresses, um, uh, we're not, we're not, we're not a society or a culture that, that seems to want people to move. Um, like I said, everything from the, the team sports, not having a long-term funnel to um, lack of opportunities for free play a free being uh, related to income um, to um, oh, a whole wide range of things. I, I, I used to have said like 10, 15, 20 years ago before YouTube, lack of knowledge. It's hard to find the right knowledge and have access to it, but I think that's been actually a really wonderful and positive thing that's come out uh, of our community, the movement community, is this, this really intense <laughs> overload of content, of just free sharing of knowledge and I'm really that that is a really great step in the right direction. Yeah, now now it seems like the problem is more about curating the knowledge that's there. Yeah, exactly. Um and making it easier to find and not just like in, you know, the people in the know know where to find stuff. Yeah, and then what's also not that what's worth listening to, but what like is sound and what's not sound and Yeah. That, that's that's a, a new way, right? Yeah. I found I felt that way as a coach, just in general. It's like I've become a curator of information in yeah. some ways more than than uh, because the overwhelm is real. And like you said, like uh, having I really liked when you said the band having the bandwidth to like handle a certain thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
you know, offloading some of that load in the beginning can be helpful to, to starting the process. Totally. Yeah. I think that's something I look at whenever I look at taking on new tasks and projects is what's, what's this taking from me? Like, is it going to take physical energy, emotional energy, social energy, um, creative energy, uh, and you only have so much of each right to use each day or each week or whatever, each year. I don't know if people operate on years, but like each day, like I only have so much energy to give. And uh, actually, something it's a little bit uh, divergent. But one thing I used to tell people is um, you know, if you take a year off or two from parkour, you haven't stopped parkour. Um, you just kind of hit your critical mass for the moment and you need to kind of reconfigure. Like parkour is like a lifetime practice and it's also a mindset more than it is a, to me a physical discipline. But um, what I was trying to say is, uh, damn it, my brain. I don't remember what I was going to say. Something related to that. Yep. Great. It was a, cool. it was a fantastic point. I, yeah, in my head, totally made, worth making. I'm sorry yeah. if I cut you off. I didn't mean to. Oh no no I I I looked out my window <laughs> and uh, squirrel, you know that kind of thing. So a couple more things I would love to touch on. Uh, sure. There's a lot. So, you know, we've come back to parkour a couple times. Sure. Can you talk more to the the relationship, the inherent relationship between parkour and play? Sure. And, yeah, let's just start there. Cool. Um, so I think that parkour is effectively like kids play grown up um and a little more structure put around it um parkour is going out finding finding challenges for yourself interacting with other people collaborating um you know it can be competitive but it's not i mean it's parkour is play like it, it 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 is when you look at all the different ways in which parkour exists you know, um, it doesn't, it's like we just created a new word to describe something we've been doing all along to make it cool enough for people to come try it. And while I get a lot of purists who fight me on this, oh, there's sets of movements that are very specific to parkour. And it's just like, okay, but you could also say these movements are just like, again, I think that looking at parkour as a physical discipline is the lowest level of thinking about what we do. And the lowest level of our experience of it. And um, I don't think personally that the physical experience of parkour is what's important in parkour. Um, so do you feel like you, that the physical experience is the keyhole though, or do you feel like, totally. yeah, I think it's, it's definitely why people come and engage. I don't, I don't think a lot of people come and be like, Oh, I want to have better social skills and I want to, you know, Feel this. I, feel like it, I don't think it's people come to parkour for that. I think that that like the draw is the physical and the idea of being more in tune with our bodies, um, because that's what we're being told right now. Also, by the way, I think it's like also driven by the social narrative now. Like, be fit, healthy, get active, blah blah blah. I'm not complaining about this narrative, but I think that's also like, the driver why people come look for it. So, um, but I think like the deeper value of parkour, why it resonates with so many people, why people like want to dedicate their lives so altruistically to it um, comes from these deeper experiences of community, of uh, risk-taking, emotional, emotional challenge, uh, you know, environmental awareness, 
the and it's not we're not there because people who stay for 10 15 years I don't think are there anymore because uh just because they like jumping around because there's lots of blaze in places you can jump around there's the other layer it's it's that again the social emotional the social emotional layer and I think that that's what you get from play is play and again I'm talking about physical play um yeah, it's engaging and it's, it's important for us to, to develop it. It's the, the real values, the cognitive, the creative, the communication, the social. So, you know, I think parkour is play. Um, and we go out and learn how to negotiate and we learn how to take risks. And uh, one thing that I think is really unique to play, I'm sorry for rambling a little bit, unique to play is and why play works is because when we play, we actually suspend reality. Um, we create new rules in which we exist, which might exist separately from the real world. Um, and when reality is suspended and we're in our play space, um, we're allowed to experiment and take risks and not really be worried about repercussions. And this is important because then you learn, you will experience the emotions that you might experience in taking a risk in real life and learn how to cope with them. But again, you get to do it without the, 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 the without the consequences of failure. So, um, Parkour gives a, a way to very quickly create that space on a regular basis to explore some really key things in life, create new rules, uh, experiment, push the boundaries in a way that's safe so that you can take those lessons back to your real life, back to reality. Uh, I shouldn't say real life. Back to reality um, and be more effective as a human being, showing up for yourself, for other people, being more authentic. Yeah. You know, this is, it's interesting that you're bringing this up because this is a, a kind of an in, intense discussion uh going on in my uh workspace right now which is i'm i feel very strongly that that mo- movement is the gateway into these other deeper things very much like what you're saying uh that are what truly benefit have changed my life or benefited my life right mm-hmm. um the alignment I feel between what I understand my value system to be now with how I move, with how I interact with other people mm-hmm. like that, that kind of alignment is the thing that kind of freed me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but and maybe uh, there's a couple of ways to go. This I, I think as coaches, like every coach I work with, even if we're more in a sports performance, vein to the ninja stuff or whatever uh wants to make an impact on someone's life wants to wants to serve like that's Mm -hmm. that's inherent in it um but the degree to which we should set expectations that we can reach this this level of um impact in someone's life Mm -hmm. is I don't know if it's like unified, right? There's like kind of like the train of thought. It's like, well, what people are here, um, you know, when people are here, our job is to train them physically and to help them develop discipline and like a good mindset. But we can't track this total self-recognition shift so that shouldn't be like what we're aiming for. 
because how can we say we were successful or not is, is like some of the argument okay, I'm so getting. I don't, I don't know if that's what you're trying to speak to. One, I think like systems of, this is going back to like the idea of conditioning and living in a systemic world or a systemized world where like we're told all the time externally, like everything is extrinsically motivated, right? We're, we're constantly told by others uh, what success is and is not. And it's hard for us to measure people who only exist in this world, which is the vast majority. It's hard for us to tell for ourselves uh, when we've been successful or to feel feel the necessary kind of uh, emotion to continue with the practice if if we don't have a tool to understand our success or our progress. So I think like, I don't know if that's what you're speaking to, but like as a coach, it's important for us to, especially for people coming from these places and are new to movement and don't have their own rich uh, and intrinsically driven uh, system of values um, we have to help create a value system. We also have to provide a way for them to uh, feel validation that this was a good idea and that they are progressing uh, in the meantime. So like one, like the measuring the physical is the, the easiest way, right? It's in yeah. easiest ways progressing. Look, you can do it farther than yesterday. Look, you can hold 10 seconds longer. Um, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong in that. I think, uh, I think that's a great place to start for some people because it is incredibly motivating um, and the, the need for physical improvement is definitely a driver for a lot of people walk through the door. But um, I really like like to challenge coaches to think to the next level. Again, you make people aware of the fact that like they're being driven by this goal. But in fact, like what what's keeping them coming back every week? Is it because they're jumping a little bit farther or is it because they like hanging out with their buddy over there? Or is it because of what? And um, yes, you can't necessarily collect metrics on whether or not people are more capable in other areas of their life or whatever it is. But um, that's not to say that that shouldn't be. Yeah. I guess I'm just saying it's, it's like a, sorry if I was kind of muddling through it a little bit, it's, it's, it's very fresh right now. This is a discussion that's happening now. And I'm, I'm kind of in the, you know, if you think about the Simon Sinek golden circle, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in, like, I want to understand people's why. And I want to, I want to yep. get into that. And that's the, that's the reason I get out of bed to go and help people. And if, if mm-hmm. we felt like we needed more discipline in our, our business in order to be able to, to track whether we're successful. And if we're not successful, we can make changes and we want like this mm-hmm. feedback loop for ourselves. Like I, I, I understand where that's coming from, but if, if I came to work and I was told that the thing I need to be focused on is improving deadlifts and vertical jumps, I would no longer care about coming into work. Well, exactly. It's not, it's not, it's not deep enough or meaningful enough. Like it's a short term, it's a short term thing. So like, I think also like the reality is like a lot of our physical goals are short term goals often. I want to jump and, farther. And, I want to do this, temp- but like, there will be a point where not like, even not even short term, but temporary. <laughs> like, they, yeah, exactly. they will not and, last forever. Exactly, and they will start declining. You're eventually there will hit a point where you will not jump farther. Well, you will not lift more. And in fact, you will just you will start the decline, like where your body will start just performing less and less each year. That is an inevitable reality, I think, for all of us that live to the end of our the extent of our life, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um. I think we have some subconscious understanding of this, right, as humans at all ages. And um, that's why I think, what, again, what drives people to come back and what drives people to invest more heavily is not 
necessarily the physical component. It's the emotional, the social, the, the larger experience. We talk to people. I love asking people why, why, like, why do they care about parkour? Um, and like some people are like, oh, freedom. And they give me like the, like the flaws. Like, no, like, let's really look at what that means. Like, it's, it's never, but they never say, like, very few, I shouldn't say they never. Very few people say, well, I, I just like jumping on things or, and okay, like, and they can't get past that. It's like, why do you like it? How does it make you feel? Okay, let's talk about how you feel. So you, you feel powerful in control like you could do anything like you understand your capabilities and your limits and i think that that's kind of like the value to what we do it's like people discover what their capabilities and limits are and they feel reward that that feels rewarding and then they're able to make better decisions in their life you know, there's this deeper practice around it that that keeps and attract that attracts and keeps people um because otherwise like you know it, it's it's just a very sh- it's otherwise very shallow so i think uh I don't, know. I don't know if that uh, at all answers or rambles. I don't know what the question was exactly, but <laughs> no, I the I was explaining kind of a situation. I think ultimately the you know if there if there is a question out of it rather than me just like kind of sharing how that resonated with me because that's a that's a kind of a a, a pressure point in my <laughs> workspace right now. Uh, just kind of identifying that. And I think it's, I think ultimately having the conversation is, is puts us in a good space because it forces mm-hmm. us to really look at what we value. And we're like in the process of actually defining yeah. our, our value system over again. Um, and what we define yeah, as think, success. I think also, yeah. I think you can also measure your impact by getting stories. And I think that yes. you, are a really valuable way of, of really understanding the value of what you're doing. If people's story around uh, their experience of movement or your, your, your gym or your, your organization is, uh, you know, I got stronger or, but how did you get stronger? Like, you know, people, people will create and give you very incredibly rich stories about their personal lives when their personal lives have been rocked. Um, and the uh, kind that, of like fervor and passion, yeah. like, I said, like, altruistic uh passion that i see come around people who practice and lead in the parkour community comes from these very deep deeply moving stories of uh radical personal change uh that had very little to do with being able to jump farther Mm -hmm. that you're yeah we're kind of on the same wavelength there because my argument was if we need if we need a metric let's measure by the number of 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 stories that we get from our success stories or testimonials from people that say they had some sort of deep personal change. If, if that's, yeah. if we need a metric, let that be the metric. Let be, let that be the thing that we're striving for as a business is, yeah. is, is facilitating people, the, the people telling their personal story and creating exactly. their, and crafting their narrative in a new way. I think that that's really what it is. I think people are a little uncomfortable with uh, qualitative data in that way. Uh, you know, people want to see numbers, understand things by the books. And it's just like qualitative data is incredibly important. People's stories are incredibly important because that's what we are giving. Like, we are fundamentally, I mean, uh, foundationally giving people an experience. And if we're saying we're trying to change people's lives, there's there's no way to measure that except through story. You know, the story they tell themselves, the story they tell the world. Um if they're pointing back to parkour, they're pointing back to play or, or their experiences with your your community or your organization as like a milestone in their life, then that is a metric. That that's a, that is a valid piece of data. And yes, it takes a lot more effort to get, but 
but the metric you can you can get the metrics on it. You can find out who's actually getting meaningful experience of it and how it moves them. And sometimes it takes probing and and a long conversation. Uh, so it's not easy to get, like I said, but but it's I mean, there. I feel like that's how you impact others too, though, right? Because you're going to remember those stories. You're not going to remember the jump in the number the one time. You know what exactly. I mean? And I think what's really important for businesses, too, I, I try to really encourage people to talk to their members frequently, to engage in reflection after every class and get people talking about their experiences. Because we also, you know, we're often discouraged from sharing our stories, from being vulnerable, from talking about how things impact us. Um, and uh, because that also sometimes don't acknowledge the things that impacted us. So by... I, I really encourage you that business owners and coaches to talk to their students all the time uh, and have them reflect on their journey and what it means to them and are they getting what they need really out of what they're doing? Because again, the more people put words to the things that they're feeling and experiencing, uh, the more likely to share it with other people and uh, they'll also have a more deeper experience of what they're doing themselves and become more conscious of what's actually bringing them back versus being a subconscious driver. Uh, I love that. I So I have... Uh, I've, I'm pushing the time that, that I have, but I really want to get two more questions in if that's okay with you. Cool. Totally. Um, if it's better, we can also schedule, if it's an hour block, we can do another hour at some point. Heck yeah. Let's do it. Please. Part two. Uh, Part two. (laughs) Yes. You know, you know how much I love part two. Um, Yeah. And and knowing that it's an hour, I can definitely do, I'm way more flexible. Okay. Fantastic. I think I need like a three hour block for this, which is why. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I could have been clearer in my totally uh, good, yeah. Really. Um, so how about I tell you a couple of things that are rattling around in my head, and then you tell me whether we should just throw this to a block two some sure. other time. Okay. Sure. Uh, on a practical level, then for you as a play facilitator and as a coach, like could you walk me through? the elements of a session that you, you know, that you try to hit or that you feel like are, uh, uh, totally. Yeah. So there, there's that one. There's, uh, I'm really interested in parkour visions and your decision to move to parkour visions, especially as a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have this secret file on my computer about a starting a nonprofit gym and what it would be. And mm-hmm. I didn't even realize Parkour Visions was nonprofit until you mentioned it. Yeah. And now I'm like, holy moly. Okay, how does this work? What does that look like? How does it change the entire structure of a business to be from a nonprofit standpoint? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. I'm really interested in the art of retreat. And I think you and I talked briefly before yeah. about the difference between kind of movement and stillness. Yeah. And how those things go together. And I think what you touched on with reflection yeah, there. And tied to that, I'm, I'm super interested in leadership and movement and getting coaches and people into, to, to take on more and more leadership and have leadership be a part of the process of us and our movement experience. Moving yeah. And, and what does leadership look like? Yeah. Because exactly. in different realms, being a leader, what's a, what, what a leader is supposed quote unquote supposed to do looks completely different. Yeah. So um, we, I think maybe, maybe the best thing is just, let's let's save the questions about organization and leadership for next week. Okay. I can theme that out. I can finish talking about design and, and some of the stuff around that now. And if okay. that works. Sounds perfect. Cool. Um, 
So talking about design of class, like when I lead sessions, um, I like to create, and I'm doing this right now with Park Revisions as well, as I, I would like to create value-based classes, not um, block-based classes. So um, what are the values I'm trying to communicate through all of my experience, through all, uh, through all the time that I have people, and then how do I make meaningful decisions around those values? So in any class that I make, I'm always trying to create a sense of community, I want people to be having fun. I want them to feel challenged and I want them to feel empowered uh, and that they have control over their experience. Um, all of my classes, like starting and finishing in a circle, uh, people say their names and, you know, we, we start we start with a question that gets people talking about why they showed up and how they feel today. Um, and then we finish with a question reflecting on what just happened um, and how they feel now and something they want to work on to the future. So creating this, uh, expanding the time beyond and getting people to think outside of this just being confined to the classroom. Um, but during my classes, I, I really, as you mentioned, I love uh, game-based learning. I, I think it's really engaging. It also, part- it, when you do things that are game-based, people get to participate in the rulemaking. They get to negotiate uh, their conditions for success. And it's a lot more engaging and I think fulfilling as an experience. So even like in the warm up, we'll, we'll have, I always love having people partner up because that encourages community, social interaction. Um, when people when I also, by the way, whenever you do partner games, always have people introduce themselves and answer a question about like, you know, say who you are and what your favorite food is and like have a, something kind of silly that uh, creates a personal connection really fast before they go off and move. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I like to do lots of games. Like, in, like I said, in the warm up, I'll have people doing games, uh, whether it's Steal the Bacon, which you can, again, check on the Movement Game Library uh, website where people race to get things from each other. And um, But play, playifying. And then I, I often ask, like, after when I do things, like, can we change the rules? Does anyone have any ideas? How can we How can we make this harder? How can we make this easier? Whatever it happens to be. Um, so I'm constantly engaging people in the, the creation of the session. You know, the, the, this whole experience, this movement experience, Yes, I'm facilitating it. I'm I'm leading it, but I'm, I'm facilitating it more than I'm leading it, and we're all co-creating it. So that I don't know if that's exactly like you know. There's a warm up. There's a cool down. There's stuff in between that we do when we move. But like, uh, <laughs> but I think it's it, again things around engagement and facilitation drive how I, I run my classes. I'm more focused on the social and community experience than I am on let's make sure you're doing this push up with cart form or yeah yeah you know that's important in its own vein but that's not my number one so uh can i share briefly my my yes, process please. a little bit so when i design my play classes i i call them like filters so you could looking at it through different lenses to kind of see what types of things I'm hitting and what things I'm not. I also have like a, a setting expectations. We talk about the dojo rules in the beginning. We do like a breathing meditation at the end. Um, thanking like, you know, uh, feel the strength in your body, feel the strength in, uh, your tribe, Mm -hmm. feel grateful for what you, you know, the today's experience, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So kind of have that opening and cool down as far as the movements themselves. I tend to have three kind of categories that I think of, and that's uh, uh, explorative, 
um, uh, explorative, uh, cooperative, and kind of creative. And the way I think about it is, is explorative is things that you're kind of doing yourself within a space that to me, like, uh, parkour or movement skills can be kind of explorative or like f movement flow is kind of explorative because you're kind of exploring yourself in your mm -hmm. own space and your own interaction with, with a space. Mm -hmm. And then partner stuff like you're talking about is much more about the dynamics between the two people and finding that kind of constantly changing uh, teacher student relationship. That's very yes. flexible and goes back and forth. And then mm -hmm. you have the, the creative stuff is like the big games where everyone we're trying to figure out how to get everyone involved and use yeah. everybody's input. So those are kind mm -hmm. of like the three levels. And it's really just from, you know, one person to two to three people to the entire group and kind of melding and going in and out of those three mm -hmm. phases throughout. Yeah. Well, I think uh, just to, to quickly tag on there, I think creativity is actually incredibly difficult for new students. Like if you uh, creativity in as in like, create this line of movements and then share it and refine it. Like the game. Yeah. Add -on, yeah. And it's, that's, I think add on, you know, what add on is. Yes. Uh, we play it quite a bit. So uh, basically it's like when one person adds, like, does a movement, the next person adds to that and they build a line together. So um, I actually think this is like one of the worst beginner games of all time and people always use it with beginners. And uh, the reason is it's when you have very few tools and very few skills and you come to movement for the very first time and you're now asked to create in front of a group of your peers, uh, you're setting someone up for failure <laughs> mm. or, or a very stressful experience, very high interest. So like the way I approach creativity is yeah, like some of the, all my games create space for more and more creativity on a personal level, but I can give them again parameters in which they can be creative that are a little more familiar. Um, like I said, being creative about the rules. Everyone can sit and talk about rules pretty safely um, or again, conditions of success. Um, yeah, my, I guess my creativity usually is like an op. like I'll say, hey, let's either I give them a, a choice of like, hey, do any of these things sound fun? And mm -hmm. If we have a like movement towards a group or if I'm saying, hey, guys, let's play this game that we really enjoyed last time. Did anyone think of some ways that might be interesting to add or or I'll go up to if someone's shy or more new, I'll go up to them personally and be like, hey, like what would make this more fun for you? So just kind of inviting input, I mm -hmm. guess. Exactly. Yeah. Feedback. Um, and feedback. And often it changes just instinctively on its own if if. uh if it doesn't work for the group, it, the group will meld it. Now it helps too that like the group I've been working with has been together for years um, at this point. So there's, there's a kind of comfort level and there's still people growing, but uh, people kind of know the notes I'm going to hit. Um, but you know, I got, yeah, that's, exactly. cre that's creating culture though. I mean, like, consistently, you know, having that creates culture. It makes it easier to bring new people in honestly, because mm -hmm. then they, mm -hmm. there's an expectation uh, you also doing like pop-up classes seems like a totally different experience. Cause when I go in and teach, um, or, or do like a talk that's 20 minutes in a brand new group and they're like, give us some play stuff. Yeah. Uh, you're like, you have to establish culture so quickly exactly within that group or you lose it, you know? Yeah. Or you said, totally well, if, you don't, if you're not conscious about it, you set the wrong thing. And I think that like, I think why I focus so much on 
feedback and co-creation is because as I was saying earlier, ultimately I want people to move towards self-sufficiency. I want them to take responsibility for their experience. Like you can't show up to class and say that was a shitty class. Like, nope, that's on you. Like, okay, it's partly on me too. I should make sure my classes are fun, but you're responsible for your experience. Like you need to take control of your practice and you're not always going to be in a space that you're explicitly challenged. So you need to be able to change, change your space to be challenging. Right. Or to make it, or the opposite where it's too challenging, you need to change your space or your mindset so that you can engage. Um, so uh, from very like early on, I want people to feel like they have uh, the power and the responsibility, the authority and the responsibility to. Yeah. They got to take ownership of it just as you are yeah. also taking ownership of it. Yeah. So my, my final little question on this then, and the, before we pun it to uh, next week, if that works yeah. um, is how much planning and preparation then goes into these sessions. Cause I kind of went through this uh, phase where I was like, all right, first I planned out everything and like had it, yeah. more options available than I needed. Right. <laughs> then I was like, no free play. Like I, sh I shouldn't be like coming in with this, this map of the, the things I think that are going to help. And I tried to do that for like a little bit and it was a huge disaster for me personally. It did mm -hmm. not work at all. I felt like I, that actually creating a more free flowing class required more preparation on yep. my end. Do you mm -hmm. feel that way? Um, well, I think it's kind of like teaching in general, like when you first do it, I, I think if you're not being thoughtful or intentional, it's going to get away from you. Mm. And again, understanding why you're choosing to do certain things and how to adjust for them is really important. Pre-planning for a class is really important that it, for its success. So I definitely still like sit down, lesson plan. I will say like, we're going to focus on these movements. And I know that like, I want, and I'll also talk about like, what do I want people to experience? And how, and I always write like, I, when I do my lesson plan, like how do I measure people? How do I measure my success in the class while I'm doing it? Um, so if I'm playing a game, how do I measure success? If I'm, I'm doing an activity, what's, what success? Is it that everyone gets over this wall or is it everyone's laughing? Or is it that at the end of the class, everyone can name someone else's name? I mean, these are all silly metrics, but like, but these are, I, I do a lot of metric driven, like that kind of soft metric driven class design. But yeah, I always listen plan. I think that you need to be thoughtful and intentional in how you partner things up. You also have to be thoughtful and intentional about who shows up and be ready to make changes um, immediately. Mm -hmm. Like one thing I talk a lot about is with my coaches is being very considerate towards the use of physical touch. Um, and a lot of people really fight me on this, but um, there are a lot of people who are very, very uncomfortable with physical touch. Uh, they just don't have it in their life. You know, so if you're not in a relationship with someone else, you probably aren't touching people on a day-to-day -day basis. So touch and touch as a society, we've kind of hypersexualized it and have made it this thing. And uh, so people don't have a very positive experience with touch and they feel incredibly uncomfortable touching other people um, because they don't know how to emotionally deal with it. And uh, yeah, I've had people, I've had people that are definitely not used to touch before. Yeah. And I would, and I, it was kind of a learning process for me because I would think, okay, touch is really important for them. Let me mm -hmm. get them in with their closest, safest friends to do the partner games where there might be some physical contact and it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to quickly learn that just because I, I, yeah, like I idealized physical contact in some way that did not mean, again, people were ready for it or that it was yeah. quote unquote good for them if it wasn't but, welcome at that time. 
yeah, if you have physical touch in your life, you understand the value of, I can't imagine not having touch in my life. Um, but I also remember the period of a time in my life where I didn't want to be touched. I didn't like touching other people because it felt, as a woman, I felt this is like sexualized somehow. And I, I just, it made me really uncomfortable. And it was very something I had to like reflect on pretty deeply about why it was making me uncomfortable. Um, but realizing that, yes, people need it. Uh, is that classroom and that social space where they are much for them to say no, the best yeah. time to introduce it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe don't try to fix everything at once. Yeah. Oh, and then there's other ways. I mean, there's touch where you're touching people's hands. And there's there's different levels. I just I just I remember like so many classes in parkour. I have people doing partner carries. It's like, wow, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of touch. Yeah. That's a lot of touch. But yeah, I'm very intentional. I really like sitting down, planning my classes, thinking about what games I'm using, what they get paired with next. That continues the lesson from the previous game, or how I continue the social relationship. Like I just made, just had you meet someone. Like, how can I deepen that connection with that same person? Or how do I make sure you meet someone new? And so I'm I'm very careful and thoughtful about planning my lessons. And I always take time beforehand. But it gets easier the more you do it because you start yeah. to start to understand. Yeah, especially you, yeah, you have you have you can feel the the tone of the room and like you have mm-hmm. like something that you just gravitate towards. Exactly. From and previous the more you run a game, the more you you try something out you have in your head. Like the first time it's gonna be terrible probably because Things never happen the way you plan them. The first time you do a new game or you do a new activity or attempt some sort of social whatever. But the more you run it, the more you will find it. You'll start to look for cues in people on when to shift certain ways. Um, yeah. I remember yeah. I remember running a new game for kids, for like my seven to nine-year-olds. And I, in my <laughs> head, it was going to go great. And we were just doing it. I was just like, I kept trying to alter it. And it was just bombing so hard. Yeah. And I had mainly my like regulars, but I had one new kid in the class and his dad was mm-hmm. just sitting there watching me and, uh, they yep. didn't come back and I emailed him. It was just like, Hey, what's up? Like, he's like, yeah, that game you had them play was super weird. And, uh, I thought there'd be more parkour. And I was like, meh, yeah. meh. I'm so I sorry. Is, I think if things don't feel like they're going, also this is, a, this is a, another thing I tell coaches, if it doesn't feel like it's going right, just say that. Like for everyone, like, Hey guys. I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm feeling that this this isn't even working out. Does anyone have ideas? Does anyone feel this way? And if so, like, do you have any ideas to make this more fun? Do you want to just ditch the game entirely? I've definitely done that before. I was like, guys, this isn't working. This is not how I thought it was going to happen. Let's just ditch the game and get on to the next thing. Sorry about that. We'll work on it next week. But you can also involve people in, like, how can we make this better? Yeah. Or we just leave it for now and do something else. I like that. And that makes you more human as a coach, which enables you to fail in front of them and makes them more participated, bought in to this environment and your community. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you've given me stuff. I feel like I'm going to be able to level up just like my <laughs> play coaching for sure. Maybe my, uh, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say if I, I need to sit and think on some of these things more. Uh, I really yeah. enjoyed this, Caitlin. This was awesome. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of the Human Animal Podcast. It was great having Caitlin on, and I look forward to talking with her again soon. I hope you guys got a lot out of this. For more content of the Human Animal Podcast, check out FreeFitGuy.com. Also, uh, look at free, look for FreeFitGuy on Instagram and Facebook. And finally, I have my playful ebook on sale on UnleashThePowerOfPlay.com. We really appreciate your guys' support. Much love and see you next time.